You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Hi there, good morning, welcome to the show. Tuesday, January the 23rd, as promised. I am now in Miami ahead of the Eclipse Awards this week and the Pegasus World Cup, more of which in just a few moments' time. Also be speaking about the big Cheltenham Trials Day this weekend. I'll be talking to the racing managers of both Simon Munir and Rich Ritchie about Ampere Pass and the Double Green Horses and Lossy Mouth, Monkfish, Royal Pagai and more, plus a horse that costs just five grand who could be in with a chance of winning a race on the prestigious Trials Day on Saturday. That's all to come, plus a look at who might be the champion first season sire of 2024 with both Sam Hockenell from Fitzdares and also Jack Cantillon, who is busy managing the career of one horse who is quite prominent in the betting. But first of all, and again with an eye to the uh, domestic and international sphere for this year, uh, Aidan O'Brien's City of Troy has been crowned, to nobody's surprise, officially champion juvenile of 2023, with the British Horse Racing Authority rating of 125 as those juvenile classifications were unveiled today. In a moment, you'll hear from Aidan O'Brien, who in 2005 achieved the same feat as he has today of training both champion juvenile Colt and juvenile Philly. And that year, they were also by the same side, Dane Hill. This year, they're by the same side, Justify, Opera Singer, the champion juvenile filly, as I say, City of Troy, the champion Colt. Before we hear from Aidan, though, Graham Smith, the man who compiled these ratings for the BHA, the senior two-year-old handicapper, talks me through the mechanics. Morning, Nick. Um, yeah, he, he's um, nicely superior. He's well superior. 125 is his classification rating. That's been agreed um, on a European level. Uh, second best in is Bucanero Fuerte, the Phoenix winner, who got a rating of 120. Um, to put City of Troy's mark into context, he's the third best juvenile since Frankel and Dream Ahead were joint champions at 126 in 2010. Um, Pinatubo 2019 he was 128 Two Dan Hot was 126 um, so City of Troy comes in third in that time interestingly he's the second best two year old Aidan O'Brien's ever trained he's a pound behind Johannesburg from 2001 and I always say two year old ratings are as much about opportunity as they are ability City of Troy ran three times it was super impressive Johannesburg ran I think he ran seven times as a two year old and he won four group ones so he had every opportunity to show exactly how good he was City of Troy we're still thinking there could be a bit more to come I'd be interested to see how you rate those horses that are currently lining up to take on City of Troy in the 2000 Guineas, and particularly Rosalian, who's been the subject of warm reports on this podcast in recent weeks? I'm not surprised about that. I mean, Rosalian's super, um, super exciting two-year-old. First time, I was fairly low-key at Newbury, but he, he blasted them away in the Pat Edery at Ascot. Um, four lengths he won that by in a really smart time. The next five home all won at listed or pattern level after that, including the Group 1 winner's Ancient Wisdom, <clears throat> He's in the classification at 115, having won the Cameco Futurity. Sunways, 113, having won the Group 1 in Saint Cloud. The Dewhurst runner-up as well, Alien Arby, was 114. He was well behind him. Um, 
I know he flopped in the champagne and we don't know why, but he did put the record straight, did Rosalian, when he won the Lagardère. Um, he gave unquestionable a start, still cut him down and beat him. Um, if anything, he raced against the buyers that day, so we could mark him up from his bare 117. The form was frank, but unquestionable, then won at the Breeders' Cup in the juvenile turf. There's lots of solidity in that form line, and yet yeah, he's almost certainly the best British-trained um, Guineas contender. Uh, and you mentioned Ramatuel earlier on. Um, Ramatuel was defeated in the in the pre-morning by Van Dijk. I was watching that, um, Simon Crisford be interviewed on uh, Sky Sports Racing at Lingfield the other day after he'd won the the, Lingf- uh, the Lingfield Winter Oaks, and he was he was eulogising about what he was seeing from Van Dijk. And you know, given how many good horses he's seen, you were thinking, my goodness, what is he seeing in this horse? Uh, how good a how good a two year old was he? Uh, yeah, he is the best of um, the British trained two-year-olds last year. Not only did he put up the best performance, he put up the best two performances by British trained two-year-olds. Firstly, cutting down Ramatuel in the Mornay, he beat her ahead. And then he improved another pound on that performance to 119 when he won the Middle Park. Personally, I thought he'd have had more to do in the Middle Park had Buccanero Fuerte turned up. Um, and actually, they've ended the season. Buccanero Fuerte on 120 and Van Dijk on 119. But Van Dijk's unbeaten yet. He blew them away in the middle park. He killed it in an instant. So we've no idea quite how good he is. Um, it looks like he's going down the sprinting route rather than the Guineas route. It's probably the right call, if you ask me. It is really exciting to see what he can do. I mean, he could do no more than he has done already. And there's probably still a bit of untapped potential in him. All right, let's just get the latest on City of Troy from the man himself, Aidan O'Brien, who's with me now. Uh, Aidan, how's he doing? Yeah, very happy, Nick. Um, he's done all his kind of strength and condition work over the winter, and um, he's back. His cancers are starting to build up again. Um, Dean obviously rides him every day, and he seems very happy with him. Andrew's in charge of him and Edmund, so, um, no, so, so far, so good, Nick. It's been quite often said that the 2000 Guineas is the, the last two-year-old race in the season, i.e. that you, you can't really let a horse right off and then and then build them up. Is that right? You just have to kind of keep them gently on the boil all the way through the winter? And I suppose you can, Nick. It depends on what everybody does, I suppose. Everyone has a different programme. Um, obviously, the, the winter is bad, and obviously you, you, it's it's um, often easier in this part of the world to keep them cantering because obviously they'd be only out in the wet and the cold if, if not, you know. So um, I, I, I think um, I think the Guineas comes at a good time. It's it's like obviously a horse has to be mature to be able to compete in it, and um, I suppose for for stallions that's what you want. You want them to be good two-year-olds and mature uh, three-year-olds, you know. So uh, I, I think it's it's a good time, but um, obviously things have to go well through the winter and spring for for you to make it, really. When we spoke about him after he... I think it was just after he won his maiden, actually. You, you, were, you were big on his physique and saying the lovely thing about him is he's not too big. He's just the sort of nice, perfect model. And is that what, what you ideally like to work with when you're, you're sort of getting a horse up through the grades and then up into his three-year-old season? You don't want a great big elephant type of horse because you you, know, you want a nice athlete. Yeah, I, I suppose so. But like, obviously, um, a, a big horses uh, don't have to be as often as good as, as, as medium or small horses because they have the power and the size, you know. So uh, I'd say size and strength and scope is always only an advantage. Um, but he's a he's a, a medium-sized horse, a little bit unusual when you stand into him. He's much bigger than you think he is. Mm. Um, and, and, and that usually means that a horse is very well proportioned to the whole body, really. And, and, uh, and that's the way he really is. 
So he's actually bigger than he looks because all the bits are in the right place. I, I think so, and, and and he has he's he's wide as well as as, as strong. If you know what I mean, he has, he's just very well put together. And I like what you said: all the bits are in the right place, and and the perfect amount of strength through them all. I think. Uh, you were quite interesting in the in the press conference you did this morning with the with the British Horse Racing Authority talking about his classification. You were suggesting that you you could go you could go both surfaces with him at some point. Is that so? Two thousand guineas first. What what have you got in your mind for the rest of the season? Yeah, no, absolutely. Obviously, we take one place at a time, um, but obviously the the guineas will be the first one, and and then obviously we'll see what the lads want to do. But I'd imagine the derby will be the next one if if everything went well. So, um, and then after that, then they'll decide what they want to do. Um, like obviously he's by justify, which makes him kind of extra exciting because, um. He, he, it gives another total dimension to him, you know. Obviously, uh, justify himself was a was a, a, a total dirt horse, and uh, and um, and uh, and he has produced some very some very good horses on the dirt in America already. So it just makes him very exciting, really. He's um, and I, I suppose for us, that's the exciting thing about justify. It, it, it looks like they're going to be able to work on both both uh, both surfaces in different parts of the world, really. I mean, you're in you're in the business of making stallions. Is that is that very much in everybody's mind that you could you could mix and match and do a bit in in both continents with him? Well, I, I yeah, I think so. But again, and that's what makes the justifies very unique. Um, the the big strides, they're very genuine. Um, and then we have to just wait and see where they're going to have class enough. And, and obviously, what we saw last year, it has proven that they have loads of class you know and, and you can go forward in their races like dirt horses like to be ridden forward and and they keep going and, and that's what those good dirt horses do as well um you you've had a, an interesting double here because it's the first i didn't realize it's the first time since 2005 that the same side was responsible for both the colt and philly two-year-old champion with with opera singer as well and of course that was danehill back then with with two horses you also trained as well um what's what's the what's the um likely direction of travel with her the plan is she'll probably go to the Guineas. Um, she's a filly we always thought, again, would step up when she stepped up and trip. And, and as the time went on, she did. She's a big filly. She's, she's by Justify again. Uh, she looks like like she got a mile standing on her ear in, in, in France. And it looks like she'll have no problem getting further. So I, I, I'd imagine that's what the lads will, will do. They'll, they'll probably think about starting on the Guineas and then step her up and trip after that she needs to. Um, but she's another uh, typical justify go forward right or handy um, make the run if you want um, and then from halfway like in France she just found another gear and, and uh, that's what makes them very unusual really Just a quick last word Aidan I'm here in Florida I'm, and you you will be bringing a horse out here later this week Warm Heart to run in the in the Pegasus World Cup turf she bids to become the first filly to win the race she's got all the class in the world to win it, no doubt about that. Do you think she'll whiz round the tight turns of Gulfstream Park okay? Yeah, hopefully. Uh, obviously, it's back in trip for her. Uh, we were very happy with her run in Hong Kong. Uh, she's like she's obviously going out to visit Justify after this. Um, she's a lovely, uh, when well-balanced, uncomplicated filly, and uh, Ryan thinks that will suit her. Um, she's very well. Um, Rachel rides in her work and very happy with her. Pat has, has travelled out with her and he's very happy with the way she's travelled. And uh, so um, hopefully, and uh, just, Justin is there with them as well, but they're, they're very happy with her. So hopefully, um, make it will be interesting. Um, she, like I said, physically she has done very well and, and she's not too big a filly either. So hopefully. Will we, will we not see you here, Aidan? Probably not. It's it's, it's possible. Uh, my ticket is there, but it's possible, but not definite. Um, uh, 
then they can probably next few days will decide. We've got we've got clearer running plans for the horses than we've got for for eight now, Brian. Yeah. yeah, sorry, Nick. Sorry. <laughs> not a bit. Not a bit. Thanks for your time this morning. Yeah, pleasure, Nick. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Okay. Right. That was Aidan O'Brien, and before Aidan O'Brien was Graham Smith, the BHA two-year-old handicapper, just setting the context, and then Aidan putting the the finer brushstrokes in as regards City of Troy. Notable that the same sire and the same trainer responsible for the same um, juvenile champions in both divisions for the first time since 2005. Not really a surprise that it's Aidan O'Brien. And given what Justify has been doing everywhere around the world, including in Australia, where he's got the ridiculously talented horse trained by Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bott, and not a massive surprise that it's him either. Cornelius Lysett with me now. Uh, Cornelius, hello. But most hello, and great to welcome you back. Most interesting thing about that, I thought, was the possibility booted that they're actively looking at something a bit more transatlantic for City of Troy, maybe after the Derby, Guineas Derby, and then who knows what, but. I sort of don't feel the St. Ledger is high on the agenda. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you, listeners, that before we started recording, Nick said he believed it was as bad as likely that he would be saddled up in the St. Ledger as uh, City of Troy. Though the, the only thing you'd say about that, Coolmore, as well as being um, a, a ma- massive um, business, is also very aware of the, of the history of the sport, isn't it, and uh, its legacy. And I think if it were to pull off a a triple crown in the UK, the the iconic triple crown, that would be massive. But at the moment, that doesn't appear to be on the cards. But, you know, as well as a business, they're they're always trying to push boundaries, aren't they? So, um, you know, what would be a better way of pushing boundaries with a brilliant horse like um, City of Troy um, than than to try and make him a sort of a, a world star? Um, 2,000 Guinness to start with. I see with Fitzdares, he's 10 to 11 for that, 2 to 1 favourite for the Derby then. So who knows if he went and pulled those two off in the, the same style that uh, he pulled off his successes in the Superlative and the Dewhurst and at the Carra last year, then, um, you know, it would be a, it would be a, a perfectly reasonable and um, unsurprising thing to, for Coolmore to have a go at, uh, wouldn't it? But uh, no surprise that City of Troy has done it, uh, has been rated the, the uh, champion two-year-old by a wide margin as well, by a decent decent margin back to the next. Uh, worth picking up a couple of others. Um, I think um, uh, Van Dijk in particular, uh, the highest rated British uh, two-year-old, uh, joint third at 119, so six behind uh, City of Troy. And um, the excitement about Van Dijk, I, I was quite struck watching Simon Crisford, uh, own, uh, trainer with his son uh, of uh, Van Dijk, watching them being interviewed at uh, Lingfield uh, on the middle day of the Winter Million, uh, the flat day of the Winter Million at Lingfield last weekend. Simon looking a little chilly, I thought, in the uh, in the January chill. But uh, clearly, as soon as the uh, talk went to Van Dijk, he's pretty excited about the possibilities ahead uh, with that one. So, yeah, we, we may be in midwinter. We may be considering Cheltenham and Doncaster this coming weekend in, in the UK. We may be considering the Cheltenham Festival and Aintree, etc. But uh, a reminder that uh, we'll be back into full flat swing in the not too distant future. All right. As you rightly say, Cheltenham and Doncaster this weekend. Uh, and of course, um Gulfstream Park, which is where I will be, and Aidan O'Brien might be, but isn't quite sure at the moment. Warm Heart has a huge, huge chance in the Pegasus 
World Cup turf. Uh, with Cheltenham in mind, look at that uh, entry list for the Unibet hurdle, formerly the International Hurdle, formerly the Beulah Hurdle, whatever it's called. It looks potentially quite a good race. The one that surprised me as an entry was Ampere a pass, one of three possibles for, for Willie Mullins. I put in a call to Anthony Bromley, racing manager to the owners, Isaac Sweard and Simon Manier, to ask him whether Cheltenham was indeed the plan this weekend and what he knew about Willie Mullins' intentions. What's the latest? Um, I don't know. Uh, I think he's probably... The plan's been the Dublin Festival, I think, the last couple of weeks, but we've got the entry for Saturday, so you never quite know uh, with Willie till Thursday morning, and uh, we'll find out Thursday morning, I think. But I, I sort of hadn't been planning... I, I mean, I've been planning to have Daryl at... Um, Doncaster for Saturday, so I don't think I don't think we I don't think he's coming. I don't know. Well, but as you said, Thursday morning. Normally it's nine thirty on Thursday morning. We find these things out. I mean, there could be there could be some method in the madness. I I I'm quite interested, still quite interested in this horse, even though he's been defeated both times this season. Uh, as a as a champion hurdle project, what what do you think in your heart of hearts? I mean, he's got the entry in the stayers hurdle, so that gives us the options. Um, I think uh, at the moment, before we go to these next couple of weekends, um, he's the he's he's looking like the third best two mile hurdler in England and Ireland. And I think if you're if you are the third best two mile hurdler in England and Ireland, you probably want to have a roll the dice and try it out. Um, in, in probably in the champion hurdle, but let's just see. I mean, if he gets absolutely slaughtered next time and he's crying out for going up in trip, we've got the option of going to stay as hurdle. So. I think a lot will, the next run will tell us a lot, um, but I think he's going to stay, he'll stay for his next run of two miles. I don't think he's going to be tried further uh, if for, his, for his prep run. So read into that what you like, you know, but I would, yeah, I don't, I'm pretty, he's probably going to be in the champion hurdle because, you you know, it's, you never know till 48 hours before that State Man and Constitution Hill are going to be declared and are sound and healthy and scope correct and all those sort of things. So if you've got the third best about, it's best to still be in, isn't it? And, and, all, and, and in addition to that, I mean, I know, you know I've spoken a lot to Simon Maneer, including on this on this podcast, and I know he's a man who likes to, to win rather than just take part. But do you think there is an element of the champion hurdle is actually as prestigious a race as you can get over the smaller obstacles and to to be a meaningful competitor in that you know to what extent does something like that actually matter rather than just winning any race well i think there's another factor in it um i think you've got to start to think with an eye on next season in his novice chase campaign and does he need at this stage of his career a, a bottoming race in the stayers uh as well i think I think he's got plenty of pace and it would be nice to see him in, as you say, a very prestigious race like the champion hurdle. And and you never know. You never know. I'll be a state man and constitutional might take take sales on and, and we might be able to pick up the pieces. We might get a second. You might get a win. I don't know. It's If you're not in, you definitely can't win. And it, yes, as you say, it's a blue ribbon event and um, it'd be nice to be in it. We've had a few runners in it over the years and... Uh, haven't haven't got near to wearing it yet, but uh, top notch run well in it, foot pads run well in it, grand duet. Yeah, we've had a few goes at it, but um, it'd be nice to have something in the first three. Yeah, and this fellow certainly got got those sort of credentials. Are you going to be busy elsewhere this weekend? 
yeah, Doncaster have got a few nice runners going to Doncaster. Stuart Crawford's got a few up there. Joseph O'Brien's going to bring a filly over for the listed fillies. Uh, juvenile. And, um, yeah, and then but then it's all about the Dublin Festival. And actually, the the following weekend and the Musselburgh uh, two days, we're going to... Stuart's going to send quite a few horses for that. So, um, yeah, we've got a busy few weeks coming mm. up. I'm guessing you'll be at Musselburgh, will you? <laughs> well, you can guess where I'll be. Uh, watching El Fabiello and Cozy, all right? Yeah, great for. Uh, I saw him last week. He was flying. Well, yeah. that is all we need to know. Uh, Anthony, thanks for your time. Thank you. All right, so... That was Anthony Bromley. We know Willie Mullins is currently away, um, but his entry secretary is evidently not away because the entries are firing in left, right and centre. So in addition to Ampero Pass, we've got the Triumph Hurdle winner Lossie Mouth in this race as well. Joe Chambers is racing manager to Rich Ritchie. Rich and Susanna Ritchie, I should say. Um, get it right. Uh, so here we go, Joe. Have you got any idea whether she's going to run at the weekend? You left out Gala Marceau as well, because she's in the race at Cheltenham also, isn't she? Yeah, but you can't really speak um, for her, so... can't, but, you know, it's just another variable. And I know initially Rich and I were thinking that the entry at Doncaster against her own sex in over two miles um, would probably appeal even more than going to Cheltenham. Um, so we were half thinking we were getting the train to Doncaster on Saturday morning. Um and uh, obviously with the defection of Constitution Hill due to a bad scope, um, it has probably opened up the Cheltenham race to a few more people than perhaps it originally did. So um, the usual shtick, I'm afraid, Nick, we haven't spoken about it. All options are open. Um, I haven't spoken to the trainer other than when he told me last week she'd be entered in Doncaster, Cheltenham, the Quivega Hurdle at Punchestown, the Red Mills Hurdle at Goran, and um, she's obviously in at the Dublin Racing Festival as well in the two-mile hurdle there. So um, we'll make a decision, I suspect, Wednesday evening, Thursday morning. Okay, well... Well, that, that's that's cleared that one up nicely. I assume you'll be at Cheltenham anyway because you'll be watching Royal Pagai run in the Cotswold Chase. Uh, very possibly, but I'd have thought if Lossiemont went to Donny, I'd say we might go up there instead. Really? So do, do, should that be taken as any kind of negative then about Royal Pagai, who's currently favourite for no, the, the Gold Cup trial? No, not at all. It's just um, I think Lossiemouth is um, highest up in the affections of uh, of Mr. Ritchie at the moment, more so than others. So she's um, she's done well for herself in that regard. Mm-hmm. I know you don't want to speak for Venetia either, but is 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 Cheltenham definitely the plan for for the Betfair Chase winner? Yeah, it is. Um, we were gutted that Haydock wasn't on, and you know, two completely different tracks. Um, Cheltenham probably doesn't play to his strengths, such as galloping and straight lines. Um, but it's the obvious place to go, uh, and it's 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 this weekend rather than waiting for for Newbury um, the week the week or two after, whenever that is. Um, so no, that that's that was the plan pretty much straight away once Haydock was called off. Okay, um, if uh, Lompresse and Royal Pagai both end up in the Gold Cup and Charlie Deutsch ends up riding Lompresse, who ride Royal Pagai? No idea at the moment, um, you know, but my phone is available if anyone wants to ring. Um, we've probably got a few ideas now that Tom Skudamore has, uh, has retired and is beginning his takeover of ITV Racing. Um, and uh, we'll kind of cross that bridge if and when we have to. Go on, who do you, who do you fancy? I've absolutely no idea. We spoke about it for 10 seconds this morning, actually, before work, and that was about it. Okay, you're um, 
the mind that if both of them turn up fit and well, that Charlie will pick Lom per se. Um, but um, we haven't gone beyond that. All right. And what about, um, am I allowed to mention him? He's running on Thursday, isn't he? Uh, Fig Rock, yes. He's in the beginner's chase um, <laughs> at, uh, at, at Goran, uh, one of four Willie Mullins runners in a seven-runner yeah, race. Yeah. You know exactly who I'm talking about. Is, is, the, is Monkfish actually going to run? Well, he was declared to run at Tremor on New Year's Day and um, uh, trod on a stone the morning of. So, you know, we have, we have been here before, Nicholas. Um, but yes, the plan is to run him and three miles in soft ground, nearly heavy ground at Gorn will be fairly tricky for him. Uh, first time out this season, but you know, uh, we got to get him started. I know he's been in good form and other than about 48 hours around the turn of the year, um, all has actually been okay with him this season. And, you know, Willie was kind of minded to run him at at Thurdus last weekend but the ground didn't look as though it was going to be soft and then it obviously poured in the day so uh, be that as it is um, the plan is to go on Thursday and it'll be great to see him back and it is very much a pipe opener for him and let's see how much ability he retains but it'll be great to see him back and hopefully we can kick on from there and get back over fences Alright Joe thanks so much Cheers Right Joe Chambers there and before that Anthony Bromley uh, and it's it's heartening to know that people very close to horses in the Willie Mullins table, Cornelius, have about as much idea as to whether they're going to run this weekend as, as we have. But interesting comments on both horses. And I thought particularly interesting that, that Anthony and, and his team clearly favour going down a, a, a brave champion hurdle route with Ampere Pass. Uh, and that's for the future of the horse's career rather than just for now as well. I, I, I like that, that they're not giving up on that just because they've been beaten a couple of times. Yeah, the, you know, those defeats at, at Ferry House and Leopardstown, neither of them, you know, n not disgraced either time, beaten by some extremely good horses. And, um, yeah, it, uh, it, you know, th th this is a horse that uh, they're absolutely convinced still has a, a very big future. Um, a, a number of entries from Willie Mullins uh, spread between Cheltenham and Doncaster this weekend. I see there's a quote from... Uh, the master trainer in the racing post today, it'll be a case of splitting them all up. So suddenly you've got so many good horses that you have to decide whether you're going north, south, east or west, whether they're going to uh, clash against each other, whether they go to Doncaster, whether they go to Cheltenham. Um, but if Imperi Pass and uh, any of the others turn up in the Unibet hurdle uh, on a day which is lo looking like a, a real proper trials day at Cheltenham, It'll be um, it'll be fascinating stuff. There are a lot of races, mm, aren't there? There are. I was just thinking there are eight races, and then I looked at last year. There were nine last nine. year. Yeah. Um, um, one, uh, one of those, we... Now, one of those, Cornelius, is the re reschedule Clarence House Chase. Mm. Uh, now, on this podcast, was it yesterday? To be honest, I've completely lost track of what day's which. I think it was yesterday with David Yates. Monday, I was talking about uh, the fact that Doncaster had... Um, made a bid for the Clarence House that that exceeded in terms of their own contribution what uh, Cheltenham was putting in. Yet it went to Cheltenham. Um, have you got any more intel on that? Well, I, I was racing yesterday, and uh, it was quite a um, quite a substantial talking point. Um, so uh, Ark Dash Doncaster apparently offering more money uh, than uh, they will be racing for at uh, Cheltenham. It's 105,000 guaranteed at Cheltenham. Uh, I'm told a, a, a sort of substantial five-figure sum above that was offered for the race to be run at uh, Doncaster. But 
um, they they were told firmly, and I think this was touched upon by your uh, on your podcast yesterday that uh, they discussed it with the trainers, and they were more likely to get a good uh, a, a better race at Doncaster. I, I think that particular uh, Cheltenham. Uh, Cheltenham, sorry, uh, than than at Doncaster. I think that particular observation that you you read that out, I think, in a statement mm-hmm. uh, yesterday, raised uh, a few eyebrows. You know, money is uh, you know prestige is important um but to a lot of the people involved the money is really important as well so um i I know there's a lot of irritation within the arena racing company arc uh about this situation uh more money was on the table also uh one of the things that uh bha has talked quite a lot about is trying to enhance jump racing in the northern part of britain well this would have been a real boost for the northern circuit uh, having this uh, race here and and a and a, a feeling at uh, at Arc that you know there are so many eggs in this particular basket uh, that that it's just a, a real uh, in the Cheltenham basket that it's a real pity that um, that they, they get another egg as well uh, and it's a it's a it's a busy old day anyway at Cheltenham if you're if you're going to be following racing at Cheltenham this weekend you're not going to know whether to look north south east or west it's going to be it's going to be a tricky one and the parents house is in there as well so there is considerable irritation uh at arc about uh, this whole scenario bha has said why it's gone to cheltenham uh and uh, no doubt after this race is run uh and with the future in mind this will be just discussed further uh further in the future i did, did just as a footnote to that uh cheltenham we've got all these races on uh on saturday there is a piece in the Racing Post today about uh, race times uh, and uh, races going off late. And it's they've done analysis in the Post uh, in the trade newspaper and something like 56.8% of races staged in Britain and Ireland go off at least a minute late, which is irritating for um, viewers and in- irritating for punters as well, uh, particularly those who use money in race A to perhaps wager in uh, in race B. Uh, and uh, it'll be interesting to see whether these race times are, uh, you know, with, with that in mind, how, how promptly these races go off um, on, on Saturday, because there is a lot going on. Uh, I, I'm just going to, you know, I don't want to just be into BHA bashing, but have a listen to this quote from the BHA and tell me if you really, you know, if it's even English. The BHA understands the importance of races going off on time. Well, that's good. As part of the ongoing industry strategy work to improve the customer experience, racing's leaders have committed to working together with participants and race courses to improve the number of races going off on time. Well, yeah, okay, I know what that means, but gee, some of the language that is being used, you know, just come into the real world, just just come down and and, um, and stop talking corporate speak and just realise how, how tiresome those type of quotes and how difficult this situation is for people uh, watching on to actually understand and comprehend sorry oh. here ended the lesson but it really you know just talk normal english for goodness sake right well with that under our belts time for some plain speaking now hopefully courtesy of jockey chris ward a little bit of an unsung hero he's had a very very interesting career spread between britain and france more of which in a moment but more pertinently saturday he rides a horse called flight deck for trainer Deborah Cole, who's one with two of her last three runners, and for whom Chris is a, a pretty key player, picked this one up for very, very little money out of John Joe O'Neill's stable, uh, and the rider P. 
picks up the story ahead of the cleave hurdle at the weekend, for which this horse is a double-figure price, but no complete forlorn hope. He went through the sales of five grand, and then um, they bought him afterwards. Actually, privately, um, liked his obviously, you know, he's he's got a lot of ability. But obviously, his last couple of runs before he came to Deborah um, weren't great. But um, but he's just been, yeah, he seems to have sort of thrived in in that small environment. Deborah's only got a handful of horses. Um, but yeah, he just seems to have got better and better, and just he does, he hacks around the fields and goes around the gallops, and he goes on a couple of little fun rides, and um, yeah, seems to enjoy what he does, and um, yeah, he's he's only run a couple of times, obviously, but he's um, he's put in almost a career best both times um, for 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 the team, so yes, yeah, really exciting next week, uh, well the weekend, um, let's see, and and the the first. The first time that you rode this horse at, at Cheltenham, you you drilled him clear at, at, a, at an interesting point of the race, and everyone thought, "Hang on a minute, what on earth's going on here? You you might just win this." And he had he had a huge weight as well in a handicap, sixty six to one. Were, were those premeditated tactics? Did you know what you were sitting on? Well, we'd we'd liked what we'd he'd done at home, but watching his previous couple of runs, he ran at Utaxita before he came to Deborah and he ran at Shepster, I think it was and um, he looked from visually from just watching him he looked very disinterested and he pulled up on both occasions um, so we had a chat amongst us we put the blinkers on him at home and it didn't make much of a difference we didn't think but so we just the, the idea was to Cheltenham we just thought to be honest we thought he could pull up but um, we just wanted to make sure that we sort of um, he showed something really and we thought the best way we could do that is just send him out in front where he seems to like being on his own if you like not being crowded um, and so yeah it wasn't actually ideal that day because I almost got a good start that day and then there was a full start and it was a standing start and we were stood still at the start and um we missed a few, uh, yeah, just missed the break a bit, really. And um, I'll tell you what, I, I gave him a, a kick in the belly. And I'll tell you what, by the time we jumped the first, he was swinging along and um, coming down the, coming down the hill the second time. I thought, bloody hell, we're, we're flying here. And, um, yeah, so that, that's why we rode him like that, actually. Um, and it... And- and it worked, and it nearly worked again in the in the long distance hurdle at Newbury, where you only had to give best to to, to Dashiell Drasher and and Paisley Park. So you're you're in the mix now. You've got the hang of him. Do you think that, and you know him a little bit better? Do you think you can squeeze a little bit more out of him? Um, there could be a bit of an improvement. I'm hoping, yeah, yeah, there could be. Um, I think, obviously, Cheltenham. Yeah, we rode him like we did. Probably, yeah, I don't know whether that would probably cost him at the end of the race. Um, Newbury, obviously, was a a better performance again, but he almost jumped the last quite tired. Um, I think, yeah, we're pretty confident he's very fit um, for for Saturday. And, yeah, I think um, there's all possibility that he could 
could go on again from, from what he did at Newbury. So, and, to... and clearly, Chris, this is a yard that we need to watch a little bit because Deborah's one with two of her last three runners. You've ridden them both. Imac Wood and, and Haraki Gulf, and you were talking about a, another horse that you'd picked up very cheaply who's gone on and done done really well. Um, just tell me a little bit about your association with Deborah, how it came about, and and, and your your own background. Yeah, so I, um, yeah, so I, I was with Richard Newland, um, and I had obviously a sort of very, you know, it was quite a small team then actually at the time, and I was there. Um, and he had a handful of well, he had sort of ten horses when I was with Richard, um, and then I got to twenty six, and I couldn't um, ride in boys' races anymore. And they've actually changed that rule subsequently. Um, and yeah, after that, um, I sort of well, sort of there wasn't really a job there for me. Um, so I went to France for a few years, and and. Um, had a few years out there and uh, yeah and enjoyed it actually and uh, to be honest it, it's funny how things work out and I, I worked for Jean-Paul Gallerini which is obviously he's a legend out in France obviously and um, he was sort of winding down at the time and just before Covid and I ended up coming coming back um, and I was actually going to go out again and I had another job lined up in France and um, a friend of mine, um, Jake Hudson, actually rang me up and said that um, Deborah's looking for someone to go in and sort of um, help out and and um, you know and obviously ride the horses. So um, so yeah, it just that's that's how it worked out. And yeah, Deborah's only got a handful of horses, and there's only there's only a few of us that go in and and. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so I go in there pretty much every day and. Um, yeah, they seem to be running fantastic, and and yeah, no, it's, uh, it's it's good. Well, you've you've clearly had a fantastic grounding at Richard Newland and and uh, Jean Paul Gallery. Is my right in thinking that you looked after Pino de Ray as well? Yes, yeah, yeah. I used to ride him every day. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Richard had some fantastic courses when when. Uh, when I was there, and uh, yeah, he was obviously the best. And yeah, I used to ride him every day, and. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, he, he trained a lot of winners from from only a, yeah, a very very small yard, uh, similar to um, Deborah, I guess. Really, um, I guess I've yeah, sort of generally worked for sort of small yards, and it's probably I don't know whether sort of by design or what, but uh, yeah, I guess I'm one of the quieter guys, so uh, so yeah, that's probably uh, fit into one of those smaller yards better, maybe I don't know. <laughs> well. Uh, you might be making a bit more noise come Saturday if Flight Deck um, upsets the apple cart again. Chris, thanks thanks so much for talking to me. No, fantastic. Thanks a lot. Well, it is Tuesday, and that means it's the day where we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherbees. We're concentrating today on first season sires for 2024. Uh, in a moment, we'll be speaking to a man who has high hopes of producing one of those star first season sires, Jack Cantillon. First of all, though, how do our partners at Fitzdares bet uh, Sam Hockenall from Fitzdares makes very good use of the Weatherby's uh, return of mares when creating his market. The latest return of mares supplement and fact book published later this week. And of course, he can use the Bloodstock reports and the Stallion book and the Global Stallion app as well. You can search for all sorts of criteria. Uh, in this case, obviously, by those who went to start in 2021 and therefore have their first two-year-olds running in 2024. So, Sam, welcome in. Fitzdares prices for first season, sire. How's it looking? 
Yeah, so so we've got Pinatubo up as our favourite this year at two to one. Um, Sergei Prokofiev at nine to four, and Earthlight eleven to four. Uh, it's twelve to one far above, and six teams bar. But it it sort of looks this year that it's really going to be between those those first three, um, a three horse race really. Okay, and so what's informed that? Just give me how you how you how do you make a book on on these? Uh, yes, yeah, sort of the the main metrics really was we're looking at the the number of two rolls on the ground, um, and then we take into account yeah, the the type of horse they were. So you know we're expecting these to be treat, to be producing you know early two year old types, uh, and then as well we're looking at the yearling averages. You know how well received they they were the the yearlings and. Uh, and then from there, really, um, they were sort of pretty clear in this market that there was only really going to be three players. Okay, and how accurate have you been the last couple of years? Uh, well, the, last year we were right. We had uh, Blue Point in his favourite, um, so so we were on the money there. The year before, though, we we did have Sioux Nation very short, and uh, obviously he was beaten by... Uh, Havana Gray? Havana Gray, I think, yeah, uh, who had a remarkable season. Um, so it's there or thereabouts. I, I think for the amount of size there are, there are only sort of a few that that can or win it every year. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think this year it's almost certainly going to be for, be from these uh, the top three here. All righty, thanks a lot, Sam. No problem. Thanks, Nick. Well, that was very interesting there from, from Sam Hockenhull. And it's not that big a surprise that Pinatubo is the favourite in Fitzdare's book. And it's not that big a surprise given the volume of mares that Sergei Prokofiev covered that he's second favourite and Earthlight, who's been catching everybody's eye at the sales, is th- a third favourite. But in their fourth best at uh, 12 to 1 at the moment in Fitzdare's list, though shorter in other places, is Far Above, who stands for a, a relatively modest fee by far very fast horse possibly didn't really fulfill his potential owing to injury and his stallion career is being curated by Jack Cantillon who's with me now so if you can't get excited about your stallion prospect now Jack you never will you see him in there as fourth favourite to be first season sire underestimation overestimation in your humble opinion look Nick uh, we might be I don't think we'll win the first season champion sire I think if you had to look rationally at the numbers that a Pinatubu or an Earthlight will have and the leading trainers that they will be with. Um, I think if you it was win-only betting, like I presume it is, I'd expect them to win. But I think we have a you know a good chance of being the people's champion, perhaps. You know, we are supporting a lot of young, a uh, lot of smaller Irish, UK-based breeders who have put their fate in far above at, as you've said, a modest fee. And it is really rewarding that when you look at the odds for the first uh, season champion stars and you see horses that have won arcs have been world champions of the year and they put old plucky far above um, above them in the betting that's uh it's a lovely thing to see and we're very excited for his first runners i'm quite interested in the sire line as well because far was a very good horse he was a champion stakes winner uh, had to run up against against frankel more times than he probably cared to I think very few people would have conceived of him as a sire of uh, a very good sprinter and then a grandsire of a very sharp two-year-olds. In your pedigree opinion, is this a hark back to Far's own sire, Pivotal? Where's this coming from? 
Uh, look, and I think we, we have to remind ourselves when Pivotal went to stud, he stood at £6,000, uh, you know, an equivalent sum to Fireball's £5,000. If we think of Sayuni, um, who now we can see cool more are investing in this bloodline, it's there, you know, we, it's probably a big, more important bloodline, dare I say, than Galileo for cool more today. Um, and it is, that comes from a sire, Sayuni, who started at €7,000. We'd love to be able to uh, replicate from those modest fees a similar trajectory of uh, upward mobility, but it's a long way to come. I did walk into Coolmore the other day into their office, and one of their uh, leading lights said, you should ring a certain UK trainer because he has very good news on his far aboves. It's lovely when you get those kind of moments in those kind of places, but Nick, it's only January, so and we better not get caught up with ourselves. And there was me thinking you'd marched into the office at Coolmore and one of their senior optives have said, Jack, here's a checkbook. Well, no one has checkbooks anymore. Give me your details. I'm going to wire you an enormous amount of money for far above because we think he's going to be the next champion. Look, let's, let's get some winners on the board first, Nick. I hope I would be delighted to meet John Magner at Royal Ascot and discuss terms. But up till now, let's just win a few option maidens and a few nice uh, and uh, nice races over five and six furlongs or early doors, and then we could start dreaming. But look, we're, he's probably going to have his busiest year this year, which is a real testament to the excitement behind him. We've had a lot of breeze-up consigners ringing up and saying they want to book mares into him. And I think when he had such a busy first season, when he had more mares than Gaiash, he had more mares than Sotsas, and you're saying he might have his busiest year in 2024... That's pretty exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. What do they look like? Uh, I mean, physically, what do they look like generally? Are they are they butty sprinting types or are they all shapes and sizes? They're big, they are big, strong horses with excellent temperaments. And I suppose that sort of gives you encouragement. Um, they will be robust and they enjoy their racing. You know, I called down to... Uh, the Brickleys the other day who are you know young leading uh, Breezo consigners I saw one of their fire buzz and just they're always the same they just they enjoy their work they want to get on with the job and they're strong horses and they're big horses you know fire above is like I think he's, at, he's 16 two, probably 16-3 if we put a stick on him. He's a beast of an animal. I saw James Thomas in the Racing Post described him as an incredible hulk of a specimen. That's what we hope the horses uh, by him are like. And uh, hopefully, they, if they're incredible hulks, they'll be incredible at winning races. But who, who knows at this juncture? And um, that's the great... Uh, the great, uh, I wrote an article this morning about Norton Dancer. He started at 10,000 uh, Canadian dollars. You never know when the next big uh, sensation is going to come from. And actually, you know, that whole list has so many talented horses. And I'm sure there's going to be a few that surprise us. Thanks to Jack and to Sam and to Chris Ward earlier in the show. And of course, Joe Chambers, Anthony Bromley, Aidan O'Brien, and Graham Smith. Cordelius Lyce in a busy show is still with me and has a tip for you for today. I thought I'd take you to Leicester. For the Watch on Racing TV Hands and Heels Mares Handicap Hurdle Race that opens the card, there's a horse here called Piper's Rock, ridden by a five-pound claiming amateur called Cameron Johnston Baker. Uh, he's uh, not ridden a winner under rules yet. He's had barely a handful of rides. This horse trained by Robbie Llewellyn, back to two and a half miles. Robbie Llewellyn having a fantastic season, and Piper's Cross will be suited by the distance. Looks a perfectly okay ride for this inexperienced rider and um, Piper's cross number six in the opener at Leicester is the big hope for the day. Cornelius, thank you. Thank you very much for listening. I will be back once again, same time. I was going to say same place. Hopefully I'll be in the same place tomorrow. We'll see you then. Take care for now. Bye-bye.
You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.